the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Friday, December 17th, 2021. Yesterday, following what Dennis Prager did on his show, we asked how COVID, now almost two years into it, or the policies surrounding it, have affected you or your family. It was one of the more moving sets of calls I've received, and I re-extend the invite today that if you'd like to call in on that, that would be just fine. Or if you didn't get a chance to call in yesterday or you were on hold, feel free. I closed the show noting that for all of you who were looking at vaccine information and statistics that actually showed risks of or from the vaccine, you know, some potential harmful effects or what the medical community calls adverse reactions in the past up until yesterday, you were shut down. If you pointed out that the vaccines could cause harm in and of themselves, you were mocked. You were called a conspiracy theorist. You were censored and you were censured. And like almost everything else, you were proven right. Producer Bill likes my old line I learned from a Hungarian friend. Sometimes the price for being right is the appearance of being wrong. At the time, the problem is these are not venial errors. They were not slight or marginal. They cost lives. They cost mental health. They cost jobs. They cost money, yours. They cost families. They cost friends. They cost the elderly. And they cost the children. But now it's okay to speak of at least some ill consequences and some adverse effects of some of the vaccines. In another new chapter, now a book pushing up to 30 chapters of some heft, in another new chapter in the book of the government and experts being wrong in the name of science, it is being written as we speak. It's amazing how little coverage it's getting. Omicron is the new fear, attendant with all the usual consequences, more masks, more punishments, more curtailments, more warnings. Joe Biden himself yesterday warned of a winter of death, his phrase. Isn't that lovely? And Jimmy Carter was thrown out of office for blaming Americans for just malaise. But the new chapter, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is no longer a legitimate vaccine. The CDC does need to do some work on its various websites to catch up with their own news. But the story, I'll just quote from CNN so nobody can say I'm cherry picking or making anything up. Here's CNN exactly. Quote, The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention changed its recommendations for COVID-19 vaccines Thursday to make clear that shots made by Moderna and Pfizer Biotech are preferred over Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. The new recommendation, mRNA vaccines are preferred over the Janssen COVID vaccine for the prevention of COVID-19 for those 18 years of age and over. Earlier Thursday, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices endorsed the updated recommendation after hearing new data indicating that a rare blood clotting syndrome is more common among people who recently got a J&J vaccine than previously believed. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky accepted the updated recommendation within hours, close quote. 
and they wonder why some people try doing their own research and think for themselves and don't think they should simply comply with every government order about personal health as a matter of public health. They wonder why we don't listen to Joe Biden or Anthony Fauci or Rochelle Walensky. They've been wrong about monumental things and keep looking more error-ridden and spurious all the time. Think on it a moment. Get one of the three vaccines has been the rule for a year. Now it's just get two of the vaccines. The third is no longer recommended. What of those who recently got the J&J vaccine, by the way? Are they even considered vaccinated? There's a lot of cleanup to do here now, isn't there? But that is not the most interesting thing to me. The most interesting thing is evidently now, now, after a year of this, it's okay to publicly mention concerns about iatrogenic effects from at least one of the recommended vaccines. I give you CNN again verbatim, quote, the CDC has logged 54 cases in the U.S. of thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome or TTS in the U.S. since the vaccine became available. Nine people have died, seven women and two men. Rates are higher than previously estimated among both men and women, the CDC's Dr. Isaac C. told the meeting. While only a few cases have been seen for every million people vaccinated by age group, they are higher than what was believed when vaccine advisors were last brief. We've been struck on reviewing these cases by how rapidly a patient deteriorates to death, C. said. Symptoms always begin within two weeks of getting the vaccine and on average within nine days, close quote. Do you know what the nine deaths mean? Two things. First, it's likely an undercount the way these things are reported. But most importantly, it's eight more deaths worldwide than all of Omicron, which you hear nonstop about, which you are warned will lead to a winter of illness and death. Ahem. And of the 800% higher death rate from doing what the government and experts told us to do with the J&J vaccine. 800% higher death rate from doing what the government told you to do with the J&J vaccine than we're getting from the Omicron variant. Well, that was yesterday's story and hardly very much of a story. I don't think you heard much about it. I know it was hard to find. So with all this whirlwind and all these reversals and all the tyranny, I thought in context of yesterday's show and today's reinvite to call in with your experiences, I thought it might be interesting to read my very first monologue mentioning the coronavirus for the first time in 2020. Something I thought would be just an interesting look back to see where we were. That first monologue, it was later than I would have guessed. It was on March 16th of 2020. And here's what I said about it on that day. I said, and I am quoting myself, when actually I was, I started by quoting Heather McDonald. I was quoting Heather McDonald. She writes, when enemies of our culture or society become soft and amorphous, I also worry about what's going on in America right now with the fear and worry over the coronavirus. Then I said, I've spoken with my doctors, three of them, and they've each told me the same thing. There's a lot of overreaction just now. What say you? Back to Heather McDonald. What actually matters is whether or not the growing pandemic overwhelms our ability to ensure the well-being of U.S. residents with efficiency and precision. But fear of the disease and not the disease itself has already spoiled that for us. This was March of 2020. There were 
38,000 traffic fatalities in the United States in 2019. That represents an average of over 100 traffic deaths every day. If the press cataloged these in as much painstaking detail as they have the deaths from the coronavirus, highways nationwide would be as empty as New York subways are now. Shutting down highways would have had a much more positive effect, quite frankly, on the U.S. mortality rate than shutting down the U.S. economy to try to prevent the spread of the virus. She goes on, but it's her conclusion that has me thinking the most. It's hard to imagine that the panicked leaders and populists of today would have been able to triumph in the last century's world wars. America's colleges sent off thousands of their young men to fight and die in those wars. Those students went off with conviction and courage. Currently, colleges and universities are shutting down with no hint of the virus in their vicinity. Would today's panicked leaders and populists be able to triumph in the face of a world war or some other legitimately comparable threat? Let's hope we do not have to find out. Is this worry not relevant, I ask? I've long been concerned about hard America versus soft America, the Michael Barone thesis. I think I first noticed it when, while in Washington, papers like the Washington Post and organizations like CNN and MSNPC put us through massive breastfeeding and hand-wringing over the first 500 and then the first 1,000 deaths in Iraq back in the early 2000s. I don't want to be misunderstood here. They're all tragic, all. And every one of those 2,500 American deaths in Afghanistan over the last 19 years, every one of those 5,000 deaths in Iraq, every single one of those deaths is the death of a hero. But we thought of 9-11 and its response as World War III at one point, some calling it World War IV. And I thought of the battle my dad was in in World War II, the Battle of Okinawa, two and a half months, 20,000 American dead. Or any major battle in World War II where you had thousands of deaths per month, sometimes weak. The Battle of Tarawa, for example, 1,600 deaths in three days. And I thought, do we have what it takes anymore to deal with major crises or wars or viruses? Has the safe space ethos where college students have become afraid of an argument they don't agree with invaded the rest of the culture and made us soft on everything? You've heard me on this before, but I give you Adam Carolla from his testimony to the House of Representatives. He said, we're talking a lot about the kids, and I think they're just that, kids. We are the adults, and I don't think we are doing the children, 18- and 19-year-old kids that are at these college campuses, any favors. They grew up dipped in Purell, playing soccer games where they never kept score and watching Wow Wow Wubsy, and we're asking them to be mature. We need the adults to start being the adults. Studies have shown that if you take people and put them in a zero-gravity environment like astronauts, they lose muscle mass. They lose bone density. We're taking these kids... In the name of protection, and we're putting them in zero-gravity environments, and they're losing muscle mass and bone density. They need to live in a world that has gravity. When you need to expose your children to germs and dirt in the environment to build up their immune system, you are doing right by them. Our plan is, however, put them in a bubble, keep them away from everything, and somehow they'll come out stronger when they emerge from that bubble. And you know what? That's not happening. Well, that's what I said in my first monologue discussing COVID, and I can show you the times. But do call me with your experiences from COVID and its policies. It's a good log to have, and as per yesterday, it was not only highly revelatory, it was highly emotional 
and informing. Or call in on anything else. It's Open Line Friday, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Dave is in surprise. Hello there, Dave. Thanks for taking my call, teacher. I appreciate it. Oh, you are kind to always say that. Thank you. Well, I always mean it, so that's why I always You're very kind. Thank you. Of course, sir. You're welcome. Um, It's been a rough year for me and my family, for sure. I think we've talked about this a a few times. Um, What the the whole beginning of this process was for me in in my job, former job now, um, back in February when, when my daughter came home from high school and I came home from the work environment was we were together more, which was good except I saw what they were teaching her in school, which, unfortunately, she's part of the new political class, I think, the absolutist. She thinks if one thing happens bad to one particular person, the person that, you know, propagated that is now evil, and they must be disbanded completely in their entire class. And I think that's what she's taught in school, a real Marxist revolution. Um, But it created a huge divide for us, and, and actually it, it culminated with the day after the election, she moved out at age 16. No kidding. She couldn't live under my roof anymore. No kidding. Yeah. No it's kidding. been a struggle, for sure. Um, what, is it, what is it the schools uh, are teaching or the environment of her friends or you know people she interacts with? Where did you first start noticing that this was going to lead into a into a negative direction what were the first signs or hints well i'd like to hear more about this point this thesis you have this sounds interesting to me this thesis about one person extrapolates to the whole kind of thing sure sure and and other people might have similar situations that i do um it it was you know the aggrieved classes uh she she thought she's very smart. She's as, as smart as I was at that age, which is dangerous. <laughs> um, but she, she would she would throw out statistics about you know how many African Americans died at the hands of police, and she thought she had a grasp of the numbers because that's what she was told. And she's you know she subscribes to other media influencers sure. and, and other people in her school sure. circle and, and and those influencers and. And it just, it wasn't true. So when I would share actual Bureau of Labor statistics, that would that would kind of set her back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that became very tenuous for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I almost always had the stats and the, the facts on my side. And, and she's, and I'll give her credit, she's altruistic. And the other side is very altruistic. And their messages resonate because people are generally compassionate, especially people on our side. Independents that lean towards conservatism are very compassionate, and the other side twists messages very, very well. Yeah. Um, but it it got really bad in the middle of the summer. I at that point had lost my job. Yep, uh, I remember we, we talked on air about that. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, but but she came up to me one day and said, "You know, Dad, because she knows Lincoln's my hero. Uh-huh. I have pictures of me." In between Lincoln's legs and the memorial, <laughs> I know that. I know that. I know that I, shot. Yeah, I know. I've, I've yeah, had a few I, of those myself. I couldn't myself. climb yeah. up all the way into his <laughs> lap, but I tried like crazy because he's my hero. Yeah, I have a few um, of and those. And it was a different time back then. Sure. But um, 
She said, you, you realize, Dad, Lincoln would be the most racist president oh, we've dear, ever had if he lived to today. Again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. they're so learning that. They, they've twisted, they twisted the whole, they twist the whole thing on us. Did you go to high um, school just, here, Dave, by the way, or grade school here? No, Northwestern Pennsylvania, and then I went to Penn State. Well, let me ask you so this. I'm a back east project. Let me ask you this. Yep. Someone said this the other day. I don't remember who, but it's eminently true. We grew up, there were really, in every class, every classroom, every teacher made their own kind of classrooms a little bit different this way or that. But every classroom growing up, I remember, in public school had a picture of Lincoln and Washington. On the wall, everyone. Oh, absolutely. Did, did you have that? Yeah. Okay. And, so and, we've gone from that and, and the current president. And, we always had the current president. I don't as well. remember the current. I'll be honest. I don't remember that that was the case in my case. But fair enough. And it's interesting how we've gone from every classroom would have Lincoln and Washington to Lincoln is the greatest racist to serve in the White House. <laughs> yeah. That's a really but, that's a really fast track. Her line of thinking was this, and I'll just share this real quick. I'll let you get on another call. No, no, you're fine. She this said, is "Fascinating." He, uh, he, he. I said, "Well, what about you know the, those amendments that freed slaves and the, the war we fought, the four hundred thousand citizens, citizens of his country, yeah. who he was president of, yeah. that died to keep the country together, not to divide it." She said, "Oh, that he just did that for political expediency." I said, "That's amazing that you can see back into his heart back in the 1860s." She's like, well, that was just done for political gain. I said, I think he was, he was probably on course with what he felt and what he believed in his mind and in his heart. That's why he did it. But the political, her, right? the political uh, expediency is is one of really the most unhistorical answers when you think about uh, the challenges Lincoln had, not only with his own Republican Party, but the fact. <laughs> If he want, if he wanted to keep the country together more than anything else, he wouldn't have held the positions he held. I mean, right? The states remember the the Confederate states started seceding before he was even sworn in, based on his political beliefs. But Dave, tell me, I want to get into this a little bit more generally. But tell me this idea, this thesis about taking the example of one and extrapolating it further. That issue of if one person does something wrong, how, I, I forget exactly how you put it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's it's the absolutist class, and yeah. I, I think that most of our people in Silicon Valley and in the establishment class politically, certainly in the medical field, all subscribe to this. I think it's bigger than Democrats and Republicans. I think it crosses both parties. I think Dr. Fauci, who I think is a fraud completely, is the number one proponent of this. So. We have to shut down the country in mass to prevent one death uh, yes. from uh, or with COVID. Uh, uh, He's an uh, absolutist. Ah, uh, the we old Andrew Cuomo line. If we can, we, yeah, instant. yeah, the old Andrew. Sorry, yes, sir. No, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Sir. Fascinating point. Let me chew on that and uh, thank you for sharing, Dave. I appreciate it. Anyone else wants to call in? Well, it's open line Fridays on anything, but specifically, I was asking yesterday and would happily continue today. Your experience with COVID or the policies that came out of it, family, work-wise, you name it. We've lost a few family members over these debates, um, according to yesterday's calls, and Dave, a daughter. It's tragic what it's done to us. Tragic. Penn State right here. Nidalee Lyons. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. An etiquette question I'd like to crowdsource with you all. Bill, let me start with you, and then 
anyone who wants to weigh in, and maybe we can get this just in time uh, before the holiday season closes out. I'm a believer in saying Merry Christmas to people. It's a national holiday. It is an official national holiday. My religion and their religion should, to me, be basically irrelevant. It's a national holiday. I should say it no differently, I don't think, than I would say Happy Thanksgiving or Happy Martin Luther King Day or anything else, quite frankly, that is also Happy July 4th or Independence Day, a national holiday. But obviously, for some time now, Happy Holidays has replaced Merry Christmas. Hope you have a happy holiday. People casually say it to others they don't know at the store, at the office, at the front desks, wherever you may go, perhaps on a telephone call with a customer. You, you, I don't need to belabor the point. And it seems now, maybe really over the last three years, three or four years, it has moved so fast as a replacement that you hardly hear Merry Christmas from anyone at all. It used to be, in my experience, up until about three years ago, it was eh, maybe 50-50-ish. And it probably does depend on geography a little bit. But here in Phoenix, I have noticed for some time now that it's Happy Holidays is it's a 90-10 situation at at best, at best. I I can't think of the last public Merry Christmas I heard. Um, So the question arises this way, since sometimes people will beat you to it. As you're going away, away, right? Like, like beating you to an, a God bless you at dinner if someone sneezes, right? Um, some, sometimes someone will beat you to it. They'll say Happy Holidays before you say it or before you say Merry Christmas. So here's the etiquette question. If you're a Merry Christmas person and someone you don't know politely says Happy Holidays as you're leaving and doing, taking care of business, the cash register, the front desk, whatever – is it rude? Is it a one-upsmanship? Is it showmanship? Does it put them in an awkward position if you respond to Happy Holidays with Merry Christmas? In other words, once they say Happy Holidays, is it the more polite thing to respond in kind or to respond with the way you would have said it or wanted to say it in the first place? Do you do you understand my question? Because I, I, I went up to a to a, um, a lawyer in the building uh, to go talk to him, and his front desk receptionist, more than lovely, more than friendly, um, I was about to leave, and she said – and I was about to say Merry Christmas. I was about to. And she said, Happy Holidays. And I then said, well, and Merry Christmas to you. And I walked away thinking, maybe that's the rude thing to do. I don't know. Maybe that puts them on their heels in a way that you're not – really supposed to do in polite conversation. What do you think? I'm right there with you, Seth. It's sort of, it's you a say, conu- you're, well, I don't know what the answer is. You're right there with me as it's a conundrum? Yeah, well, yeah, it's a tough one, but I think you have to follow suit. I think it can be seen as a power move, perhaps. Yeah, to- yeah, yeah. That's another way to put it. It's a power move. But then what about conceding to the point you don't agree with? Mm. Well, that's that's why you try to lead, I guess. Get it out there fast. Yeah. Get there it out go. there quicker. The preemptive Merry Christmas. Okay. The PMC. The PM. The PMC. The preemptive Merry Christmas. Okay. But you understand. Uh, anyway, I, I, I very much respect the idea that you want to make people feel good around these times and not, you know, come in with the, what you call the power position or anything like that. Yeah. So I, you want to do the polite thing. If someone says happy holidays, you want to say happy holidays. 
But there's something about us, too, that doesn't want to concede to the postmodern dialect, right? There is something about that that's not comfortable when you wouldn't have said happy holidays on your own initiative or on your own. Anyway, it was just something I'm thinking about, uh, and it's not perhaps the biggest of deals. Although, as you know, um, I'm a big fan of what Edmund Burke said about manners being more important than laws, because manners affect the culture more than the laws which touch us here and there, whereas manners can soothe, how did you put it, can soothe or coarsen a society by their presence or by their absence. Manners are more important. The manners are very important. How did F. Scott Fitzgerald put it in The Great Gatsby? Uh, The fundamental decencies were unequally distributed at birth. And when you find someone or run into someone who does have those fundamental decencies and manners, hold them, cherish them, seize them. And walk away from those who don't, by the way. They're not good for you. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Peggy, hi. Welcome. Hi there. Um, I just wanted a, this Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was last year, and I forget what store I was in, but it was the, with the cashier or the salesperson. And I was finishing a transaction, and the salesperson said, Happy Holidays. And I said, Merry Christmas to you. And she said, oh, Merry Christmas to you, too. She goes, we're not allowed to say Merry Christmas unless the customer says it first. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I think I heard that at a restaurant once, by the way. I think I heard that rule from, I remember maybe two, three years ago at a restaurant. And I think I know what it was, but I shouldn't say it because I'm not positive and it may have changed. But I think I heard that from one of my waiters once. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I, I get the feeling that... People want to say you know, it, they've been told not to. They want to say it, right, right. But they're just uh, they're just waiting for the customer. Yeah, so that may be. I always, that may be. So, so the lesson customer. there is be of good cheer and say so first, yeah. fast. And yeah. I'm not trying to be rude, right. you know, if they say happy holidays. Yeah. I'm just trying, yeah. Yeah. So it's good. Bill Bill had a had a temporary out if you miss that first shot and the first thing they say to you is happy holidays um which is the the problem I was you know discussing he said uh what what was your band-aid solution that just say and and to you as well yeah something yeah, thanks, polite you like too. and that way you don't have to physically verbally say it oh yeah I mean, all of this is just – I suppose – you know what I was thinking about? It, there's a more serious angle to this, Peggy, if you take it up to the next notch that also made me think about it, which is um, I was watching – you know who Ben Shapiro is? Conservative thinker, uh, talker? Sure. Yeah. So uh-huh. I was watching him on a panel dealing with the issue of um, transgenderism. And one of the people on the panel was uh, someone who was a born a male and now considers themselves a woman. Okay, so they they're they're a, 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 a they were a transgendered female. 
and mm-hmm. and and Ben was kept saying something to the effect of or words to the effect of I'm not going to accept that you tell me this I'm not going to buy into your lie you are you have all the male anatomy you were born a male you are to me a man and I was thinking about that and he later explained that we who choose to live in the truth are obligated not to concede to a lie not to concede to something we know isn't true <laughs> And uh-huh. I, you know, that's that's a second higher, you know, degree than what I'm talking about. But it's kind of of a piece. It's kind of in the same genus, isn't it? Of not having to buy into the. We were talking about Alexander Solzhenitsyn's great essay, "Live Not by Lies." This is, in a way, how we how we how we accept and assimilate lies, so that. We no longer recognize the truth anymore when we start conceding to them slowly and then more ubiquitously and more quickly, right? And there's Mm -hmm. something about Ben's point I really do appreciate. You should not be obliged or obligated to concede to a lie, to concede to an untruth, especially when you have – have, you know, the truth, much less your own truth. Someone else's truth is no better than your <laughs> truth, but what if you have the truth, you know? Why should you concede to to a fiction or something yeah. you don't believe? So I'm just kind of thinking about all that twirling around in my head. I don't know if I made any sense there. No, yeah, and what with my, you know, maybe underlying, with my retort of Merry Christmas, I'm, I think I'm gently, it's, it's just very gentle, I'm gently trying to bring it back to where it to where it was where before political correctness and people fearful of 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 saying merry christmas you know it's my way of saying hey it's okay it almost feels yes we've reached a point where it almost feels like a subversive activity to say merry christmas doesn't it? It, (laughs) it, it we've reached a point where it almost feels like it's a um it's a it's 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 a it's a club idea that only you know don't let anyone overhear us we're whispering code to right. one another it's almost as if you f- you you should feel a little bit like you're doing something illegal it's a subversive activity i remember when the restaurants first opened here after the covid shutdowns and we went out um the first night we could <laughs> i think it was and it just everyone around us and including us, <laughs> kind of felt like we were doing something abnormal, a little something subversive. <laughs> it's qu- it's amazing how quickly the normal and the um, and the acceptable and the uh, conventional can be turned on its head in this society. It's amazing how fast right. they can do that. Right? How long did they close restaurants down here for? I don't know, six, seven months, something like that. It's amazing how yeah. quickly we were felt to fe- be ashamed to. Look around, right? right? We would go to a restaurant and kind of look around, and you felt like you were sneaking. Yeah, around yeah, yeah, yeah. Dinner. Like we were doing something we weren't supposed to be doing. Is there a cop? Is there some kind of uh, COVID policeman around? There's an old comedian who was it? I don't remember at this point. He was talking about if you ever go into a McDonald's, you always hope you don't run into someone you don't know. I don't mean an aspersion on a McDonald's. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> people sometimes tend to feel a little 
embarrassed about being in one. I don't know why they should, but I understand the point and the humor of it. That's the secret of all humor, right? Every, 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 every joke has to have an element of truth in it. Um, but yeah, I, it's, 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 it's tragically sad that saying the things that have kept us a cohesive country, that's the other part of it. When people lament the divisions within this country or the divide in this country, uh, the divide between people uh, over politics, policies, and culture, and nearly darn near everything, and nearly darned everything else, it's amazing how what was such a fact and acceptable and understood yesterday has changed today. COVID did. That's a, that's another thing COVID did with us as well, isn't it? Um, and certainly every mitigation effort and statement of public health that the experts have put out there and how quickly they've reversed and asked us to reverse in lockstep. And guess what? We have. We have. What happens when a culture becomes so whiplashed that they are dull and numb to the pain that they are being caused and dull and numb to the change that they have been forced to live in and all of a sudden wake up one day in that Solzhenitsyn world realizing, wait a minute, I am living by a lie. I am living under a lie. And then it's too late because the lie is what has become acceptable. That's why I call out Joe Biden so much on when he restates things that even 100% of science has said is not true. Get the vaccine to protect other people. I have something to say about the vaccines in Omicron, too. Don't let me forget, Bill, on the next, uh, in the next segment. It's not just Joe Biden. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 uh, the point I wanted to make about Omicron, yes, here it is. wrote this down. It's not just Joe Biden's ridiculousness from Tuesday. It's not his absurdity and insult to the American people about facing a winter of death from yesterday. Um, I was mentioning this this week, earlier this week, with this extra holiday push to get vaccinated from too many political leaders that that's what the holidays are about you think that's an overstatement it isn't the governor of new york i can't say is her name hochel is that how you pronounce it hochel or hochel i'm not sure and i apologize if i'm saying it wrong but governor hochel of new york put out a holiday sign wear masks get vaccinated get a booster for the holidays. Yes, of course, that's what this is about. Just like, yeah, of course, that's what it's about. Um, oh, God, I want to take both these calls. Let me do this real quick. Dan and Mesa. Hello, Dan. Hi, Seth. I wanted to talk to you about the Overton window. Yes, sir. I, I'm sure you remember Bill O'Reilly's book about, I think that's who he wrote it, the book about that, about how what the left is trying to do is to shift the window of acceptable discourse off to their side and what you were talking about with the lady earlier and i'm sure before that was 
um, moving the window back to our side, that Christmas is the acceptable thing to talk about, using the real, sorry, noisy here, using the real pronouns for people and the real ways to address them, that's the proper thing to do, and that's our way of shifting the Overton window back to normal. Yes, I appreciate all of that, Dan, very much. And I had forgotten uh, Bill O'Reilly having written on that, uh, familiar with that notion of the Overton window. And it's problematic because I think for the under 50 crowd, roughly the under 50 crowd now, it's seeping upwards. I was having dinner with someone last night telling me about this. The under 50 crowd, um, they have no problem with the concept of my truth. The concept of my truth um, changes all of all of this notion of what's acceptable and what isn't it isn't doesn't it because you can tell the truth all day long um, but if the truth is something that someone wants to say hurts their feelings or doesn't comport with their experience even if their experience is an outlier or ahistorical or not borne out by the facts or history, that's what wins for the under-50 crowd. The emotion beats the fact every time. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. You ready to tell your truth? Yeah, I'm ready to do what I got to do. Yeah? yeah? Tell the truth, not my truth. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.